Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. The names Charles Comiskey and Ban Johnson are familiar to most baseball fans. Comiskey, the one-time owner of the Chicago White Sox, along with Johnson, are both credited with the founding of the American League. But there was a third person who played a very crucial role in the junior circuit's founding, and he has not been given the credit he deserves. And if Comiskey and Johnson were alive today... I think they would most likely agree. Next, on Sports Forgotten Heroes, we're going to explore the career of the third member of this triumvirate who helped found the American League, Tom Loftus. This is Sports Forgotten Heroes, a tribute to the stars who shape the games we love to watch and the games we love to play. Stars who provided us with many thrills, but when their time was up, they faded away. We'll take a look back at their spectacular careers, their moments of fame, even if it was just for one season or just one game. And now, here's your host, Warren Rogan. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Sports Forgotten Heroes, episode number 86, Tom Loftus. Now, so many of you listening out there certainly have heard of Charles Comiskey. Not only was he the owner of the Chicago White Sox, not only did he play such a crucial role in the 1919 Black Sox story and the hiring of Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis as baseball's first commissioner, he is one of three men who founded the American League. I'm also certain baseball fans, especially hardcore baseball fans, are familiar with the name Ban Johnson, but just in case you're not, here's a quick summary. Johnson was, for the lack of a better term, appalled at how rough and sometimes violent baseball in the National League was. He wanted an alternative to the National League and to put on a show for fans that was family-friendly. An executive with the Western League, Johnson befriended Charles Comiskey and Tom Loftus, among others, and together they laid the groundwork for what would become the American League. One of the biggest foundations to that groundwork was to place teams in populous cities. So the three worked tirelessly to establish teams in such places as St. Louis, Chicago, Baltimore, Boston, Philadelphia, and Washington, D.C. And today's show will dive more deeply into all of that and the role Johnson played. But I will focus more on the story of Tom Loftus, the forgotten member of the triumvirate who also played such a crucial role in the league's founding. And my guest today is a terrific writer and researcher and a member of the Society for American Baseball Research, John Pregler. 
John likes to concentrate much of his research in and around baseball that has to do with his hometown of Dubuque, Iowa. And he will also discuss just how Dubuque played a role in the development of the American League as well. First, before we get there, a little house cleaning. Remember, you can follow Sports Forgotten Heroes on Twitter, at SportsFHeroes, where I make daily tweets about the forgotten stars I discuss on the podcast. Follow on Instagram. Look for the Sports Forgotten Heroes page on Facebook. Or check out Sports Forgotten Heroes on the web at SportsFH.com. There you can find out more about my guests, the forgotten heroes I talk about, and so much more. There are also links to more stories and video about these forgotten heroes and links for you to get in touch with me for questions, comments, or suggestions for forgotten stars you'd like to know more about. Again, that's sportsfh.com. Okay, Tom Loftus. He played such an important role in the founding of the American League, and he was also a very important figure in the formation of the rules by which baseball is played, such as making a foul ball count as a strike. Yep, there was a time when a foul ball didn't count as a strike, and Loftus worked to get that changed along with tabling the idea of a designated hitter way back in the early 1900s. So, let's get into all of that and more with my guest today, John Craigler. John, welcome to Sports Forgotten Heroes. Thrilled you could join me. Thanks for having me, Warren. Hey, you know, um, what an interesting topic, Tom Loftus. First, tell us how you discovered or stumbled upon Tom. Well, I'm a lifelong Dubuquer. I grew up in Dubuque, Iowa. And in Dubuque, there were three sports heroes or or figures that we always heard about growing up. Charles Albert Comiskey, Urban Clarence Faber, and John Jacob Burwanger. And of course, uh, John Jacob Burwanger was the first person ever selected in the NFL draft and the first person ever to win the Heisman Trophy. Mm -hmm. uh, goes by the name of Jay Burwanger. Mm -hmm. Red Faber was a world champion uh, spitball pitcher for the Chicago White Sox, who almost single-handedly won the 1917 World Series for Charlie Comiskey. And, of course, Charlie Comiskey is a Hall of Fame founder, father of the American League, and, and founder, owner of the Chicago White Sox. And mm -hmm. all three had history with Dubuque. And Charlie Comiskey, it turned out, his lifelong best friend was Tom Loftus, who also had history with Dubuque. So as I was researching Charlie Comiskey, I became more and more intrigued by the story of Tom Loftus. Mm -hmm. And what was it about his story that so intrigued you? Uh, the fact that he was uh, uh, tied to early Major League Baseball and the development of Major League Baseball, uh, and the fact that he was the only Major League manager to manage in four major leagues, different major leagues. So immediately I became curious because I had never heard of Tom Loftus or any of his baseball history, so immediately I wanted to know more. Mm-hmm. 
the four major leagues, that would be what? The American Association, the Western League, the American League, and the National League? Uh, he was in the uh, American Association, the Union Association, oh, the, Union the Association. National League, and the American League. And the Union Association, I think, only lasted like a year, correct? Correct. That uh, was in 1890, uh, uh, 1884, I'm sorry, and was a, a single-season uh, league. Mm-hmm. All right, so here's a big question for you, John. Who is Tom Loftus? <laughs> sure, and that's a, a big, big question. Uh, Tom Loftus was a minor league and major league baseball player. He was a team captain. He was a scout. He was a manager. He was a league organizer. He was a league president. He was a club owner, uh, an all-around baseball magnet, uh, really spanning from 1876 till his retirement in 1904 from the Washington Senators. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it's fair to say that almost every baseball fan at least those who really uh, look back at the history of the game, know who Charles Comiskey is. And I would venture to say there are several of us out there who are quite familiar with Ban Johnson as well. Why does Tom Loftus, who is regarded as one of the founding fathers of the American League, not get the same recognition as a Comiskey or a Johnson? That's a very good question. Uh, and, and part of the reason is because of where Tom Loftus lived in Dubuque, Iowa, which was a non-major league city uh, with a small media market. Uh, the uh, second reason uh, would be because Tom Loftus retired in uh, 1904 10 years before the era of Babe Ruth started uh, and 20 years before Charles Comiskey and Ban Johnson were done with their uh, careers in the American League. And as Charles Comiskey and Ban Johnson started to compete and, and against each other in the beginning of the 20th century, uh, especially as it got into the 19-teens and after the 1919 Black Sox World Series, and they're falling apart. Both Comiskey and Ban Johnson were trying to uh, write history and slant it towards their own personal perspective of them being the creator of the American League, when no league is created by any one or, or, mm -hmm. or handful of people. It takes uh, owners and managers in, in every representative city and, and, and a, a, a league president, so it takes a, a large group of, of people to form a league. Mm -hmm. What was it about the game of baseball that Loftus liked so much that he had to make a career of it, especially back then? Well, Tom Loftus, just like Charlie Comiskey, were always considered to be jolly individuals. They were uh, light-spirited, always in a good mood, always wanted to have fun, and always maintained, I think, their, their boyish charm uh, uh, and sense of fervor for activity. Uh, and baseball, I, I think, was one of those activities in the 1860s when the 
uh, in 1870s when these gentlemen were young men growing up uh, that really caught their fancy. There wasn't a lot of uh, sports that you could participate in outside of something like uh, horse racing or boxing uh, that uh, really gave you the adrenaline rush. And baseball was one of those things, and I think it, it captured uh, both Comiskey and Loftus and never let them go. Mm-hmm. Now, he didn't play much in the way of professional or Major League Baseball. He appeared in just nine games. He hit 182, but he played a lot of semi-pro ball and maybe some minor league ball as well. But even though he didn't play in the majors for, you know, more than that, really, a, <laughs> the true definition of a cup of coffee, maybe even less... What can you tell us about the kind of player he was? What position did he play? What were his strengths and weaknesses? What kind of ball player was Tom Loftus? Uh, first and foremost, he was a leader on the field. And uh, Loftus was one of the early individuals that really started to get into the science of the sport and looking at the relationships of the individual positions with one another uh, based off of, you know, when a, a hit is hit to uh, the third baseman, what should the second baseman and the first baseman be doing? Uh, we know that Charlie Comiskey uh, has been credited with revolutionizing first base play uh, by moving off the, the bag. Uh, and he started that in 1881, playing for uh, manager Tom Loftus in Dubuque. And so Loftus's strength really was uh, first as a, a coach and player, and his main position was second base. Uh, and so when he started playing semi-pro ball for the St. Louis Reds in the uh, mid-1870s, uh, he was a second baseman and a, a coach, uh, the team coach. Uh, and uh, he ended up starting his uh, Major League Baseball playing career in 1877 with the St. Louis Browns, or Brown Stockings, I should say, in 1877, where he only appeared in a couple of games that season. Uh, and then he moved on into another league. We need to, to remember back in the 1870s, uh, uh, professional baseball didn't really start until 1871 with the National Association of Professional Baseball Players. Mm -hmm. But the first professional uh, baseball league was the National League in 1876. And you had some other leagues that started to pop up immediately after that in 77, 78, and 79 with the League Alliance, the National Association, and the Northwestern League. And so Loftus ended up uh, playing with uh, uh, the Nashville Reds in the League Alliance in 1877 uh, as a, a second baseman and uh, team captain. And then he played with the Peoria Reds as the manager and team captain uh, in 1878 in uh, an independent league. Uh, and it was at that time in 1878 that Loftus ended up meeting Ted Sullivan and Charlie Comiskey of the Dubuque Rabbits, hmm. uh, who they played a game against. And uh, Ted Sullivan is oftentimes considered one of the fathers of minor league baseball. Slight detour here. There were, like you said, several different leagues back then, but the one league that really 
grabbed hold, obviously, at this point, (laughs) the National League. Why was it the National League was able to really establish itself and the other leagues sort of went by the wayside? I think a lot of it had to do with the the drive of people like Albert Spalding uh, and the fact that the National League was able to set up in some of uh, or the majority of the top 10 cities and population in the United States, Mm -hmm. uh, where some of these other leagues were relegated to uh, uh, smaller cities, uh, uh, not necessarily in Chicago or a St. Louis or a Philadelphia or a Boston or a New York. Uh, and, And so part of that was the struggle. Uh, the other struggle with early baseball and really all the way through uh, to the mid-1890s was the fact that the United States would have a major recession or Great Depression once every about four or five years. Uh, and every time that would occur, attendance would be down, and these leagues would not survive without fans and fanfare uh, coming in at the gates. Uh, so that killed a lot of leagues as much as anything else was was the unstable economy of the latter part of the 19th century. Hmm, interesting. Back to Loftus, you know, he only played in the National League or the Union Association for such a short period of time, you know, eight, nine games as a official Major League Baseball player. Why did he give up so quickly or was it that the teams in the national league wouldn't give him a chance why become a coach so quickly or a manager especially at such a young age he was only 28 well and back then uh there were a variety of other leagues that loftus would play in uh so his playing career uh, extended from 1876-1877 uh, when he started playing with the St. Louis Reds all the way through 1884 with the Milwaukee Brewers uh, when he was a, a player manager uh, with the Brewers uh, first in the Northwest League and then at the end of that uh uh, season of the Northwest League, uh, the Milwaukee Brewers joined the Union Association. Uh, and so uh, we believe right around that time, uh, uh, his uh, arm and some health issues were starting to catch up with him. Uh, and so for that reason, he gave up playing, especially as he uh, migrated his Milwaukee Brewers from the Northwest League into the Union Association. Uh, the, the rise in, in caliber of play, I think, uh, also had something to do with him him quitting playing. Mm-hmm. So he quits playing the game and, you know, he coaches and manages. Um, as a manager in what we refer to or regard as Major League Baseball, he didn't have a winning record. He went four, you know, he won 454 games and lost 580. His best season came in 1890, his first with the Cincinnati Reds, when he went 77 and 55. Um, and yet he was regarded as such a a good manager, maybe even a great manager. Can you tell us anything about his managing style? 
what the game was like and how perhaps managing a team back in the early days of baseball differs from what we see today? Sure. And it's a great question. Tom Loftus, part of his strength as a manager was his ability to reorganize a baseball club. Uh, back in the 19th century, when you were a, a team manager, you were both the field manager as well as the general manager, uh, as well as the chief operating officer. So you were responsible for uh, the ballpark, making sure people came to the games, uh, responsible for finding and recruit- recruiting players, getting the players ready, uh, arranging your travel, uh, everything uh, and anything you could think of fell under the responsibility of the manager. And so Tom Loftus, like so many uh, baseball players and and, uh, baseball uh, owners more specifically in Magnets, uh, was also a businessman. Uh, And he uh, owned businesses while he played. Uh, And so he brought his business sense and business acumen to professional baseball. So oftentimes when Tom Loftus was hired to come in, whether it was at Cleveland or Cincinnati uh, or even into the Chicago uh, Orphans in 1900 in the National League, it was generally because the club was in trouble in a variety of ways, uh, both uh, financially and with fan attendance. Uh, Loftus was also known as a disciplinarian. Although he was a, a jolly and jovial person, he was also a strict disciplinarian. And people knew that uh, uh, Tom meant business, uh, but they also knew if they listened to Tom that uh, the club would turn around and clubs would start winning. Uh, and so every club he went into, usually the club had a very poor winning record, and he was able to turn them around and get them on uh, a, a, a winning streak and, and reorganize the club. But he never really stayed any place more than two years to be able to turn it around and then grow the players into a, a solid pennant, uh, contender. Yeah, why was that? I noticed that that he didn't stay with teams for for a long period of time. Why why was that? Uh, Tom Loftus and Charlie Comiskey as well both wanted to be owners. Uh and uh the National League uh, uh although it has been around since 1876. Uh, It's a surety in the 19th century was not guaranteed, and we saw that with the American Association uh, from 1882 to uh, 1891 and with its uh, demise and collapse. And then we also saw, uh, you know, the Union Association in 1884 was a professional league that lasted one season. You had the Players League in 1890 Mm -hmm. that lasted one season that Charlie Comiskey uh, uh, managed and played in for the Chicago Pirates. Uh, So they were always out looking to to also get a team of their own uh, that they could control uh, to play the brand of baseball that they knew and loved. Mm -hmm. Of course, when he was involved in the game, you know, way back when, it was a time of, oh, great turmoil. The game was rough, maybe even violent, and leagues like we've already said, were coming and going, trying to compete with the now well-established National League. Can you paint a picture for us of 
what the game was like at the turn of the century, the National League, the American Association, the Western Leagues, what was baseball like back then and how violent or rough was the game? Uh, baseball was like any other uh, major industry in the United States in the Gilded Age and in the latter half of the 19th century. Uh, it was unregulated. It was cutthroat. Uh, it was very much the Wild West. Uh, there were a lot of people that were getting rich uh, off it, primarily the, the owners or the magnets, uh, and everybody wanted a piece of that pie. Uh, and so you had the National League that started out that was a uh, uh, initially in the 70s and the early 80s, uh, no alcohol in the ballparks, uh, uh, no cursing, uh, things like that. And, and it was a very straight-laced uh, kind of a gentleman's game, which baseball really started and evolved out as in the early part of the uh, uh, 19th century. Uh, and then along came the American Association and Chris Vonderhey of the St. Louis Browns and, and uh, teams like that that uh, created what was known as the, the Beer and Whiskey League in 1882 to bring a, a more fun brand of baseball uh, hmm. that allowed drinking uh, uh, in the ballparks, that allowed gambling uh, in the ballparks, which had been banned by the National League. And so uh, the, the American Association uh, uh, became quite popular rather quickly, especially in the uh, western part of the country where you had a lot of German and Irish uh, uh, Catholics uh, who were prone to uh, like to have a, a, a alcoholic drink on a Sunday. Uh, uh, the American Association permitted Sunday baseball where it was uh, banned in the National League and in a lot of cities across America, baseball was banned on Sundays. Uh, so with the rise of the American Association, they, they were the first real threat to the National League, and they were competing in a lot of the same cities. Uh, and over time, the American Association with the drinking uh, allowed in the ballparks and the gambling, uh, the fans were rather rowdy. Uh, and there were a lot of exchanges between fans and players back in those days uh, where uh, they would be vocal and verbal uh, exchanges between fans in the stands and the players. Hmm. They would throw stuff, and there would even be fist fights. Uh, and that would also be common on the field. Uh, you would uh, have people running into each other or throwing baseballs at each other, uh, uh, you know, uh, the pitcher trying to hit the hitter or trying to spike each other with your metal spikes. Uh, and that would then turn into uh, vulgarity and maybe a fist fight on the field. Uh, so uh, that was not uncommon. It wasn't every single game by any means, uh, but it, it was pretty prevalent uh, throughout the 1880s and 1890s. And uh, when Ban Johnson finally took over the Western League in 1894, he set out to change that and to clean up the brand of baseball that was being played uh, within his Western League uh, uh, to, to really give fans an option if you wanted to, to bring your children to the ballpark on a, a Sunday uh, to see a, a, a clean, fun game of baseball. 
Mm-hmm. And of course, Tom found his way to the Western League too. Um, he became, if I follow, if I follow correctly, he became the owner of the Western League's Columbus, Ohio team. Talk about the interesting ways in which his friendship with Comiskey and Johnson developed, how they met, and how Tom found his way to Columbus. Sure. Well, Tom Loftus had history in Ohio with uh, the Cleveland Blues of the American Association in 1888, and then uh, the Cleveland Spiders of 1889, when when Loftus took the the Blues from the American Association into the uh, National League for 1889, uh, and then he went over and because of the Player League commotion in 1890 and the creation of that and the uncertainty in Cleveland, he ended up going. Uh, to uh, manage Cincinnati Reds in 1890, and he took the Reds into the National League in 1890, where they've remained ever since. Uh, and so he managed the Reds uh, for two years, 1890 and 1891. Well, at that time, Ban Johnson was the sports editor of the Cincinnati Gazette, uh, and Ban uh, was about nine years younger than Loftus and, and became friendly with Loftus. And Loftus, uh, like Ban Johnson, he allowed him to travel with the team on the train. And, and Johnson would write uh, 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 friendly uh, remarks about Loftus all the time in his articles about the Red Games, calling him Sir Thomas or Tommy Loftus. Uh, and I, I think he looked up to him, uh, especially because of his experience having created uh, the the uh, uh, Western League in 1885 and the Western Association in 1888, uh, which Loftus had a role in. Uh, and then uh, Loftus got fired when John T. Brush uh, was in his second year of ownership of the Cincinnati Reds, and, and Brush really wanted Charlie Comiskey. Uh, so he hired Comiskey, uh, Loftus's best friend, and Comiskey came in and managed the Reds for three years, uh, 82, 83, and 84. And at that time, Comiskey uh, became friends with Ban Johnson as well, and I assume through his relationship and friendship with Loftus. And then in 1894, uh, the Western League was reorganizing and looking for a new president. Uh, and Charlie Comiskey urged uh, John T. Brush, who owned the Cincinnati Reds, as well as the Indianapolis Hoosiers of the Western League, to, to hire Ban Johnson as the league president. Hmm. Uh, and with Comiskey's urging, Ban Johnson was hired as the league president for the 1894 season. Uh, at the end of the 1894 season, Charlie Comiskey quit the Cincinnati Reds and immediately bought the St. Paul Saints of the Western League for the 1895 season. Why? Uh, and the, pardon me? Why, why, why did he do that? Uh, because it was his opportunity to finally own a baseball team and become a baseball magnet mm -hmm. in a league he believed had the potential uh, uh, to be at the level of the National League. Mm -hmm. uh, and because he was at the end of his playing career uh, and uh, uh, he just could no longer uh, make it in the National League mm -hmm. playing. Okay. Uh, so he decided to purchase St. Paul. 
that year, Tom Loftus uh, uh, created the Eastern Iowa League uh, and was president of that league and owned the Dubuque Dubs, which was a baseball team that would join the Western Association uh, later on. Uh, but they would play Comiskey's St. Paul team uh, uh, games here in Dubuque, Iowa, where Loftus lived. And uh, uh, then the following year, Loftus ended up buying the Comiskey or the uh, Columbus Senators uh, and joining the Western League for the 1896 season. Uh, so by 1896, Comiskey, Loftus, and Ban Johnson uh, were together and sitting on the board of directors of the Western League and controlling its future. Hmm. So the three of them get together and in the Western League, but they must have had this feeling that they knew they could build something but it had to be bigger than the Western League because of the cities in which the Western League uh, had franchises. So at what point did they start talking about forming a real sustainable league that could contend with the National League? What needed to happen? Well, the first thing I think that occurred was I think once Johnson, uh, Loftus, and Comiskey were all on the board of directors starting with the winter meetings of 1896, I think that's when they started to sit down with uh, Matt and Henry Kalilia of Milwaukee, of, with Jimmy Manning of Kansas City, and other uh, uh, individuals who would make their way to the American League and, and started to talk about what would it take, uh, uh, because they saw between 1894, 95, and 96 that their cleaner brand of baseball uh, uh, was attracting more and more fans year after year, and they were starting to see some of their larger cities draw more fans than some of the, the cities in the National League. And so what they knew they needed to do was to migrate out of cities like Columbus and Grand Rapids and Toledo uh, and, and move into uh, uh, top 10 cities in the United States in population, like a Chicago, like a St. Louis or a Cleveland. And so that's really what they wanted to set their, their sights on. Charlie Comiskey always wanted to, to move back home and have a team in Chicago. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Tom Loftus always wanted to have a team uh, in St. Louis. Uh, and, and so they, they started to talk about how do we move into those cities, but they had an issue. And that was the national agreement between the National League, the Western League, and the Northwestern League uh, that prohibited uh, uh, a team from one league moving into a city of another league without the permission of the team in that particular city granting permission. Mm -hmm. So if the Western League wanted to move into Chicago, they needed the Chicago National League team's permission to do so. 
so that was some of the uh, complications that they had to figure out was how do we get into these top 10 cities when we're really not welcomed? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. We're going to get more into that in just a moment. But first, what do you think of this? Could you say that the roots of the American League were actually developed in Dubuque, Iowa? How is it that Dubuque became such a pivotal or important city in the formation of the AL, did it? Uh, first off, that's a very astute question, uh, and I do believe that there is a direct lineage uh, from Dubuque, Iowa, and the 1879 Northwest League, uh, which was created by Ted Sullivan uh, uh, in Dubuque, Iowa. And uh, I, I believe that lineage uh, followed through to 1885 when Ted Sullivan and Tom Loftus created the first Western League. And then that Western League was reorganized in 18. Uh, 88 as the Western Association that went pretty much uninterrupted all the way up to Ban Johnson joining it as its president in 1894. Uh, but it really is Ted Sullivan, Tom Loftus, and Charlie Comiskey uh, that had Ed Prell, who was a sports editor for the Chicago Tribune in uh, 1954 called Dubuque one of the early cradles of baseball. And it's really all the work those three gentlemen did starting in, in Dubuque, their first decade in pro ball and everything they did after that for the remaining three or four decades that has uh, uh, given Dubuque that, that uh, uh, moniker. And of mm -hmm. course, Dubuque is not uh, it's one of many cradles of early baseball. There's no one cradle mm -hmm. of baseball, uh, but it definitely was uh, one of them because of what happened in 1879 and and the the people that came out of, of that team. Mm -hmm. I think to better understand the formation of the American League, one has to understand. Uh, the convoluted way in baseball operated, meaning how teams folded, formed, folded, moved, etc. You know, you talked about how Loftus moved from team to team. You know, he went from Milwaukee to Cleveland, Cincinnati, Chicago, Washington, owned Columbus. And you also mentioned St. Louis. That city with the Browns or the Brown stockings really played such an integ integral part in the whole story. The Browns were a troubled franchise, and they were owned by Chris Vondere. It was a team and or city that you said Loftus wanted to get his hands on. And like I said, it was key in the formation of the American League. So what about St. Louis? What about the Browns or brown stockings? Well, uh, Loftus obviously had long history with the Browns, but uh, so did Major League Baseball. Uh, and Chris Vonderhey, uh, after the collapse of the American Association, took his St. Louis Browns into the National League. 
And Chris Vonderhey was a very brash uh, German in, immigrant and saloon owner uh, who helped founded the American Association and was one of its biggest champions. Uh, but Chris also liked to spend money. And in the uh, 1890s, he got himself into financial trouble. And that, uh, just like today, uh, when an uh, individual team gets in financial trouble, it tends to bring down the rest of the league and cause financial trouble in the league. And so by 1898, the National League owners were trying to force Chris Vonderhey to sell his St. Louis Browns uh, to uh, some other interested party acceptable to the National League ownership uh, to allow uh, it to be infused with uh, fresh capital to try to save the team. Because St. Louis at the time uh, was one of the largest cities in the United States. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so at the time, uh, the National League magnets had decided that uh, one of their own, the owners of the Cleveland Spiders, uh, who were not performing well either on the field or at the box. Excuse, at was, the that, gates, was that I the team say. that once won, I think, like 20 games in a season? Yes. Yeah, uh, Joe Quinn good. was the manager. Uh, and, and it was the worst baseball season in history, uh, winning only 20 games. That is correct. And Joe Quinn, uh, coincidentally, started his baseball career playing for Tom Loftus and Charlie Comiskey in Dubuque mm-hmm. uh, in 1881. Uh, and he was manager of the Cleveland team. Okay. Uh, but uh, the, the Robison brothers of Cleveland uh, wanted to find a new city to move their players to because they just weren't drawing in Cleveland, and they saw the opportunity to purchase St. Louis. Ironically, the Robison brothers actually grew up in Dubuque, Iowa, uh, where Tom Loftus lived uh, uh, when he managed for the Robison brothers back in the 1880s, and now he was going up against them uh, for the St. Louis Browns. the Robison brothers decided that they would try to buy the Browns from Vonder Hay. Uh, Vonder Hay would have nothing to do with it, and he was forced into bankruptcy court uh, instead of selling his team. And that opened the door to Tom Loftus or anybody else outside of the control of the National League to bid on the St. Louis Browns because it was going to sheriff sale. Mm, okay. What was the status of the Western League, or was it the Western Association at this time? And was it considered, did the National League consider it a threat? How did the National League view the competition at this point? Well, by this point, the Western League was... uh basically a de facto major league, even though they weren't in top 10 cities around the United States. Uh, They were competing directly with the National League for players. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were, uh, by the late 19th or 1890s, uh, several of their teams and cities were drawing better than National League teams and cities. Uh, And so they were really... Uh, competing very well uh, against the National League. And so to be able to declare themselves a true major league, they knew that they needed to get into uh, more 
uh, top 10 cities because by that time in in 1898 and 1899, they were in Milwaukee, Kansas City, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Detroit, uh, Columbus with Loftus's team, and then Indianapolis and Buffalo. Uh, so at th- at that time, most of those cities were top twenty cities, but not top ten sure. cities, and they needed to get they needed to get into cities like Washington, Philadelphia, Chicago, Cleveland, Boston, Baltimore, uh, to be able to declare themselves a major league. Mm-hmm. All right, John. So there's a lot going on here, um, and obviously, we're talking now about getting into bigger cities uh, to help build a league that could really contend with the National League. So let's try to simplify this a little for our listeners. What was, I have, I have a couple questions here, um, and, and again, we're going to try to simplify this. What was the impetus of the formation of the American League? Taking on the National League. Okay. That was the primary impetus. Okay. Was to be able to go head to head with the National League. As a equal league, a partner league, or a uh, a league that would compete and or steal players from the National League to become the better of the two leagues, a bigger league. Uh it- over the course of about three or four years, it was all of the above. Uh, their <laughs> desire was to become a, an equal uh, and to uh, uh, not be uh, uh, joined with, but equal to. Uh, but they did not want to get into a baseball war where uh, it would be a, a, a war of attrition uh, as they went after uh, uh the same players in the same player pool. They wanted to avoid that. Uh, unfortunately, that was unavoidable, uh, and so that did occur uh, after the American League declared itself a major league in 1901. Mm-hmm. And they had some really good money backing it, too. Did any of the teams from the Western League become an American League franchise? Yes. So, uh, uh in 1899, uh, uh, we had the sale of the St. Louis Browns. Tom Loftus went to bid on it, uh, so the story goes. Uh, the Robinson brothers ended up uh, purchasing St. Louis and moving their Cleveland players to St. Louis, which basically vacated Cleveland. Uh, and that gave then Tom Loftus the opportunity to move his Cleveland team uh, uh, or his Columbus team into Cleveland uh, for the uh, 1900 season of the American League, which was a minor league season. So uh, the Milwaukee Brewers were part of the Western League and made it into the uh, American League as a minor league, as a major league team in 1901. Uh, you also had the Chicago White Sox, uh, Detroit Tigers, and then Cleveland. Uh, were were uh, the only teams that were in the Western League or the American League in 1900 as a minor league that made it as a a major league uh, team in the American League in 1901 when the American League declared itself a major league. Okay. Again, 
why was the city of St. Louis so important to the formation of the American League? Because it gave Tom Loftus and Charlie Comiskey and Ban Johnson an opportunity to get into a top 10 city. If they were successful in purchasing St. Louis, then they would be able to uh, uh, utilize St. Louis, the ballpark, uh, and the St. Louis Browns as a team in the Western League. Uh, and if they lost St. Louis, then they knew Cleveland would open up and they'd be able to move a team into Cleveland, which was a top 10 city. Uh, so either way, they knew that with the sale of, of St. Louis, they were going to end up moving one of their teams into a major league city. Mm-hmm. And so so St. Louis uh, was critical in that role. Mm-hmm. And what about Chicago and Cleveland? And why was there so much jumping around? And by jumping around, I mean Comiskey moved out of St. Louis, Loftus moved, Johnson moved, etc. Why was there so much moving around of owners and franchises? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, a lot of times it was chasing the fans and the dollars in order to keep your team afloat. Uh, uh, it was a lot of it. And so it was wherever you could find the support. Uh, no one magnet had the kind of money and the kind of resources to do it on their own. So even if you were a Charlie Comiskey or a John T. Brush and you wanted to move your team from one city to another, you still needed additional financial backers and supporters in those cities. Uh, so it was very difficult, uh, but, but uh, also very uh, necessary to keep your ball club alive. Hmm. Uh, and so ball clubs stayed with owners, not necessarily with a city. And, and so they got bounced around uh, uh, based off of the financial needs of the league at the time. So when the American League launched, where was Loftus, where was Comiskey, and where was Ban Johnson? So in, at the end of the 1899 Western League season, uh, Ban Johnson was president of the Western League and Comiskey owned the St. Saint Paul Saints and Loftus owned the Columbus Senators. Uh, in October of 1899, the Western League voted to change its name to the American League at a meeting in Chicago. Uh, and so they went from the regional name of Western League to the nationalized uh, uh, name of the American League. But they knew that they were still going to be a minor league in 1900. Mm -hmm. uh, but they, they were uh, uh, in the process of moving Columbus into Cleveland, and Charlie Comiskey desperately wanted to move into Chicago from St. Paul. Uh, so in the, the late fall of 1899, Jim Hart, president of the Chicago Orphans, which would uh, soon become the Chicago Cubs, who had been a, a good friend of Tom Loftus's, had been trying to get Loftus to come manage the Chicago Orphans after Cap Anson left in mm -hmm. 1897. But Loftus kept on saying, no, I would not. Uh, and Loftus and Comiskey both wanted to, to manage in a major league city uh, and in a major league in the worst way. Uh, and so uh, uh, finally Hart's, 
convinced Loftus that uh, uh, if you took the uh, Chicago National League manager job, he would permit Charlie Comiskey to move his Chicago or St. Paul Saints into Chicago uh, uh, and for the 1900 uh, American League season. So Tom Loftus actually agreed to that, and for a brief time, uh, in 1900, Loftus was the uh, manager of the Chicago Orphans in the National League while still owning uh, the Cleveland American League Club. <laughs> and the Orphans, if I'm not mistaken, they're now the Cubs. Yes, that is correct. What was... They, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, they changed their name from the Chicago White Stockings after Cap Anson left. Uh, they changed their name to the Orphans because they felt they were orphaned by Anson. <laughs> and then, of course, another team comes into Chicago and becomes the White Sox. Correct. An interesting story there. Hart agreed to uh, Comiskey moving in, but he could not use the name Chicago, so he called his team the White Sox, mm. uh, even though the National League Chicago team had used the, the name White Sox for almost two decades or three decades. Interesting. While all this is going on, what's the National League thinking? They're nervous. And uh, uh, at the time, uh, they were seeing loss in, in revenue. They were seeing loss of their, their players to the uh, American League and the Western League. Uh, and they did not want to get into a battle of attrition uh, 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 financially uh, going after each other's players. Uh, so they were rightfully nervous. Uh, and in 1899, uh, before the uh, uh, Western League changed its name to the American League, uh, the Robison brothers who owned Cleveland and had bought St. Louis, uh, John T. Brush, uh, and, and Jim Hart, uh, all of the National League were, were close friends with Charlie Comiskey and Tom Loftus. Uh, and they started meeting privately uh, within the National League and then with the, the uh, Western League uh, magnets, Johnson, Comiskey, and Loftus. Uh, and it's believed that they struck a deal in uh, mid-1899 to consolidate their leagues because the National League had 12 teams uh, and it really needed to pare down to eight. Uh, and the Western League had six teams and, and they were looking to expand. And so it's believed, and, and most indications are from newspaper articles, that the National League and the Western League had agreed to go ahead and join forces. Because at the time there was a effort to revive the American Association uh, to take on the National League as a rival major league. And that scared the National League more than the Western League did. Mm -hmm. So the National League, in a way, was a part of the formation of the American League, and a lot of that was because they really felt threatened. Absolutely, and, and it was out of self-preservation. And, and it was because of the backroom deal of Robison, Brush, and Hart with Loftus, Comiskey, and Johnson that allowed it to happen. Now, other National League magnets were not as happy 
with it. And so uh, as soon as it had occurred uh, in 1901, when uh, the American League was able to declare itself a major league in competition with the National League because it had moved uh, some more of its teams uh, into uh, top 10 cities. They had moved Kansas City into Washington to become the Washington Senators. Uh, they moved the Minneapolis team to Philadelphia to become the Athletics, uh, and Buffalo went uh, to Boston to become the Boston Americans. And then the Indianapolis Hoosiers moved to Baltimore and became the Baltimore Orioles for the 1901 season. And unfortunately, much to everybody's uh, 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 desires otherwise, 1901 started a baseball war uh, that would rage on for three years. And and can you expand a little bit on that war? What was it? I mean, you had two leagues, the American League and the National League, that, well, the National League agreed that there needed, you know, they, the American League should become a real league, a, a, a league that could contend with them. But you'd say that there was a war between the two leagues. So I find that really interesting in that they sort of helped each other out. And, of course, the World Series wasn't yet formed, and it wouldn't be for a couple more years. So what was the war? Why was there a war? Because uh, with the American League now in a lot of the same cities that the National League was playing in, they were uh, not only uh, in direct comp or in competition nationally for general fans, but they were in direct competition in every single city uh, for fans at the gate. And so that led to a bidding war for players that got really out of hand. Uh, they were reluctant partners to begin with. It was a matter of self-preservation, the, uh, uh, the National League getting in, in into bed, as it were, with the American League uh, to stave off the American Association from, from rising up and, and taking them on. They feared the American Association, uh, which was being led by John McGraw, uh, uh, Cap Anson, Al Spink of the Sporting News, Ted Sullivan, and other baseball men. Uh, so the National League really favored uh, the American League over the American Association. Mm -hmm. And so they, they placed their lot with them. But by 1903, they really started realizing that this war of attrition could not go on and that they needed to uh, come together and create a new national agreement. When the Western League changed its name to the American League uh, and reincorporated in 1900, it basically removed the Western League from the national agreement. Uh, so they were able to now also do certain things that they were not able to legally because of that contract between the Western League and the National League. Right. And so and, and, in 19... Yeah, yeah go, go ahead. ahead. No, you, you go ahead. I, we're probably heading in the same direction here. Sure. I was going to say, so in 1903, they recognized the need uh, for a new national agreement. Uh, so uh, uh, towards the end of the city, the uh, American League and National League agreed to get together and have a conference uh, to iron out a, a new national agreement. Right. And that's where I was going. What role did Tom Loftus play on the committee and how did he help bring the two leagues together? 
So the National League and the American League each got to appoint uh, three individuals to a rules committee and to a schedules committee. And the American League appointed uh, the same three people, including Tom Loftus, uh, to both the schedules and rules committee. Uh, and then the National League had uh, different individuals on each committee, with the only consistent person being Jim Hart, uh, the good friend of Tom Loftus. Uh, so they were able to sit down and uh, iron out uh, uh, an agreeable schedule uh, between the National League and the American League. Uh, one of their cons- two of their concerns were they didn't want uh, the National and American League team. Uh, from the same city playing uh, on the same day in their hometown. They wanted one out of town uh, to help increase the fan draw for each team. Mm -hmm. uh, So they weren't competing in that manner. Uh, And and so uh, that was uh, one of the considerations. The other was that they wanted opening day to be on the same day for both leagues. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they were able to hammer that out with no contention or no issue. Mm-hmm. Then the other committee was the rules committee, and, and there there was definitely some work to be done because throughout baseball history up to that point in time, uh, every league had its own set of, uh, of baseball rules. Uh, it was not necessarily uniform, uh, and there were a variety of things that still needed to be decided between the two leagues to standardize it, uh, uh, to make it a, 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 a true major league. Mm-hmm. Uh, sing- singular major league. I think one of the interesting things about that, the rules committee, this is way back in 1903. They actually considered a designated hitter. And here we are today still talking about should we or should we not have a designated hitter in both leagues? And of course, this year we do. But he played, Tom Loftus played a key role in a few other decisions, uh, inclu- one included um, not striking out on a foul ball. Can you talk about the couple of rules that that Tom played such a key role in establishing? Sure. So uh, one of the, the rules in baseball for the longest time uh, uh, that uh, uh, did not exist was the the uh, foul strike. So you could foul off as many foul balls as you wanted to, and it would not count against you. So if you didn't have any strikes, you could foul off 10, 10 straight pitches and still not have any strikes against you. And that would cause games to go on forever. Hmm. Uh, and so the the proposed rule was that uh, uh, if you do on your first and second uh, foul tip, if you do not have a strike, it would count as a strike, but a foul foul ball would not uh, uh, count as a third strike. Uh, and Tom Loftus went into the meeting. He, he was for the rule, but the American League was against the rule. It was more of a National League rule. Uh, but Tom acquiesced because he also had uh, wanted to uh, get a clearer definition of the bulk rule. Uh, and he also was very interested in establishing a standard height for pitchers' mounds. Uh, there was no standard height in baseball, hmm. uh, so they limited it uh, in the 1903 National Agreement. Then the other thing that, that Loftus did was uh, uh, he was able to get them to do away and 
with raising the foul lines, uh, baselines. Several teams and groundkeepers uh, uh, for teams that like to bunt would raise uh, the uh, uh, dirt along the, the baselines so bunts would roll fair. Hmm. And, and that was not necessarily consistent around uh, the league. And so he wanted it so that it was always flat and that the pitcher mound had a consistent slope and could not go over a certain height. Uh, and he was successful in getting those those rules implemented. Mm-hmm. So he has really spent his entire life in the game of baseball, and he finally helps to bring uh, these two leagues together. How exhausting was all of this for Tom Loftus? Um, you know, why did he decide to step away from the game so soon after all of this work to bring the two leagues together? Well, after his stint with Chicago uh, there, he went on to uh, be part owner and manager of the Washington Senators. Uh, and that was in that 1902, 04 time frame. And uh, around that time, more and more of the power was being taken away from the, the owners of the teams and the control that they had over their players, over their ballparks, and over their assets. And more and more, it was being controlled by the league president. Uh, and uh, with the baseball war uh, uh, there that went on in 1901, 2, and 3, uh, that had taken a toll on Loftus's health. Loftus also owned businesses outside of baseball, uh, which is where he got his money to, to own and support his, his baseball teams that he owned. Uh, and so he wanted to, to refocus on his businesses as well. So uh, at the uh, beginning of the 1904 season, he decided to uh, uh, step down from the Washington Senators and sell his stake and, and retire from baseball. Mm-hmm. Did he ever try to get back into the majors? He had an opportunity in 1905. Ban Johnson and Comiskey had a team available for him, although I have not been able to identify what team it is. Uh, all Loftus had to do was say he wanted back in, and it was his. Uh, he opted not to. Uh, in 1908, though, he did uh, uh, agree to become the president of the Iowa-Illinois-Indiana, the 3i minor mm-hmm. league mm-hmm. Uh, in an effort to save that league it was going to go under uh, and he came in reorganized it and allowed that that league to live on uh, uh, but he did that only for the 1908 season and that mm-hmm. was the last season he had contact with baseball yeah he died at a pretty young age 54 why don't we know and I think I asked you this to start off but why don't we know more about Tom Loftus yeah uh, again, I, I think it's because he he bowed out. He wasn't uh, after the the glory, the fame, or the the print in the newspaper. Tom did it for the love of the game. I truly believe that. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, he was quiet. He didn't like making a big scene. Uh, uh, he wasn't uh, overly boisterous like a, a Charlie Comiskey was. Uh, uh, and so, I, I think that played a lot into it and he was well known and well respected throughout the first part of the 20th century uh but as some of those 
uh, uh, older guard, uh, uh, you know, passed away and those types of things, uh, he slowly became uh, forgotten. Mm -hmm. What should we remember about Tom Loftus? That he was a a great builder up of the game of baseball, our national game, uh, at every level. Uh, he lived, breathed, and, and and delighted in the game of baseball at every level, uh, whether it was children, whether it was the minor leagues, whether it was the major leagues. Tom was always 110% between, <clears throat> behind getting out and playing the game uh, and, and really loving the game. Uh, he believed it built character in men, uh, uh, and it was also good for, for the soul because of the exercise. And uh, uh, Tom was very, very well respected by all the the giants of the game, uh, uh, whether it's George Wright or Harry Wright or Charlie Comiskey uh, or Cap Anson or or uh, uh, King Kelly. So many of the great players and names of the 19th century had nothing but good things to say about Tom Loftus. Hmm. Is he given enough credit for his role in the formation of the American League? And why are Comiskey and Johnson given more credit? That's a very good question. And uh, the answer is no, he's not given enough credit. And I believe that uh, Comiskey and Johnson are given more credit again because they live 20 years longer. Mm. And, uh, you know, baseball. Uh, uh, really took off, you know, uh, after the dead ball era and, and with the era of Ruth, uh, and that was post Tom Loftus. Comiskey and Johnson were still part of that early uh, Babe Ruth era, uh, post dead ball era, and they were able to get more of the print, more of the spotlight, more of the, the dime store novels written about them. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done this on several occasions, and let me first say it this way. I'm not stumping or, uh, uh, you know, saying that someone should or should not be in the Hall of Fame. But should Tom Loftus be in the Hall of Fame, at least as a builder? I think so. I, I think first off, we need to look at what qualifies for being in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, it, it, it has to be more than just uh, MLB as we know it today. Uh, there is a, a national baseball history uh, with people like Tom Loftus, with people like Bud Fowler, who desperately should be in the Hall of Fame, and hopefully he gets in this year finally, uh, that just don't get the recognition they need, they deserve because they never played in uh, Major League Baseball as we define it today. Mm-hmm. You know, John, you know so much about this topic. It's actually incredible, and I want to thank you so much for being my guest on Sports Forgotten Heroes. This hour went really quick for me, um, and it's just its amazing that I know Charles Comiskey and Ben Johnson, and yet someone who played as crucial a role in the formation of the American League and really in the formation of Major League Baseball Tom Loftus is just not better known. 
Yeah, it's a shame. And, and unfortunately, there's a lot of our 19th century baseball history that we are unaware of. And there's probably two or three dozen more people just like Tom Loftus, uh, whose stories deserve to be told. Agreed. John, thank you so much. And if you ever tell one of those stories, you got to let me know so I can get you back on Sports Forgotten Heroes. We'll definitely do. Thanks for your time, Warren. Awesome. Thank you. Like I said, I don't campaign, nor was this podcast created for the purpose of campaigning for someone's induction into the Hall of Fame. But when you consider just how important a role Tom Loftus played in the founding of the American League and the fact that Charles Comiskey and Ben Johnson were both enshrined, it leaves you to wonder why Loftus has not received the same honor. But like John said, fair or not, it probably has to do with the fact that Loftus left the game so soon after he helped found the league and because he had no one to carry on his legacy. So, while Tom Loftus is not a member of the Hall of Fame, I am certainly grateful to John for coming on Sports Forgotten Heroes so we could talk about Tom Loftus and do our part to keep his legacy alive and let everyone who listens know just how important Tom was to the founding of of the American League as he played just as big a role as Charles Comiskey and Ban Johnson. Next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes, in case you didn't see it just a short time ago, a fan favorite from the downtrodden years of the New York Yankees passed away, Horace Clark. And I'm going to talk about his career and more. That's next time. For now, thanks to John Pregler for joining me, and thanks to all of you for listening, and I'll see you next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes.